ever heard the phrase, they have turned a corner? Usually we use that phrase to talk about someone who's overcoming some type of ailment. If they're overcoming sickness, they start improving, we say, well, they have really turned a corner. If they're having difficulties in their life or some other means, they start coming out of it and overcoming it and start improving, start doing better in their life. We say they have turned a corner. I want you to turn with me for a moment for really a way of our uh, text for reading our key text this morning. I know I have two listed there, but I'll just turn first to 2 Kings chapter 11. 2 Kings chapter 11. We have your man mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 11. Second twenty one. I hope I say the right thing. Second Kings chapter twenty one. By the name, by the, uh, man by the name of Manasseh, he's going to be reigning in chapter twenty one, and we'll talk about later in Second Chronicles thirty three. He was twelve years old when he became king. He would reign for the Bible says fifty five years. How much influence can you have upon people if you are reigning as a leader for? 55 years. If you imagine a president of the United States and just pick one, what kind of influence do they have if they were able to reign for 55 years? We don't know what kind of impact it can have with four, what kind of impact it can have with eight. <clears throat> what happens if they reign for 55? Aren't we glad sometimes it's just for four? I don't care who they are, really, if they're good or they're not. Sometimes it's, it's never a bad time, or it's never a bad time for leaders to, to take a seat in someone else's reign, hopefully another good leader. But in 2 Kings 21, we have a man by the name of Manasseh who's going to begin reigning for 12 years, or reigning at 12 years of age, which really many, many times that was kind of following his advisor, uh, his advisors. But that was verse 2 and following. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to, the, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal, made a wooden image as Ahab king of Israel had done, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord. Know which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven and the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he made his son pass through the fire, practice soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of the Lord. In the, house, in the house which the Lord had sent to David and Solomon, his son, and, and this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. Now this idol, uh, he's mentioned there, this God, was supposed to be a God of fortune and of happiness. And he places it in the house of the Lord. There in verse 7. Verse 8, the Bible says, Now, and Continue reading about it says, I will take, and I will not make 
the feet of Israel longer anymore from the land which I gave your fathers. Only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, according to all the law that my servant Moses has, servant Moses commanded them. And so there is the stipulation, they will do well, they will prosper, if the condition being their obedience there in verse, verse 8. Verse 9, when they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, and has acted more wickedly than all the nations, than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with, sin with his idols, therefore thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, through whoever hears, hears of it, both of his ears will take it And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb, and the plumb of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance, deliver them to the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies. Because they have done evil in my sight, and provoked me to anger since, they, since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood. So he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Besides his sin, by which he made Judah sin, and doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now we find in verse 17, it says the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all he did, it's a reference to 2 Chronicles 33. 2 Chronicles 33, which we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, where it talks again about Manasseh, some different things are said about him, but much of the same is also reported. You think about Manasseh, you think about the things which he did, we're going to find that he did... Let's just go back for a moment. And let's think about some of those things. Let's think about and the bad that Manasseh did. Now this morning I want to show how one can turn from wickedness, any wickedness, even great wickedness, and turn to God. The Bible says many times there in 2 Kings 21 how innocent blood was shed. He talks about the amount of saying and picturing as if the streets of Jerusalem were filled from one end of the city to the other. How he made his son pass, pass through the fire, which is a reference to his son being laid down on the altar of Molech. On the arms of Molech, he, he, he killed his son by sacrificing him to an idol. He killed many innocent people. You saw there in 2 Kings 21. So much so again, the, the blood being pictured as filled the streets. He was not what we call a good man when we find him in 2 Chronicles 33 and 2 Kings 21. <clears throat> we find again, way to recap, he's 12 years old, right? 2 Chronicles 33, reigned 55 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast up before the children of Israel. Now, I want you to think for a moment that phrase. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Did Manasseh think it was evil? <coughs> Clearly not. Right? I mean, if we do something, 
Until someone points it out to us, until we look at the Bible and say, well, I don't think that's correct after all, until that happens, we probably think what I'm doing is just fine. But what he did was not just fine before God. The Bible says there he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to, that is, means he did these things after the pattern of the nations, and they were supposed to be what? The pattern of the, pattern of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, before all these wicked nations, he is following after their same pattern. Thus we find the phrase here, according to the abominations of the nations, means he's doing things like the nations of the Lord had cast out before them. He's following the wicked people who are all around him. Right? We find the phrase in the Bible about the idea about wanting to be like the nations around us. Various kings wanted to do that, right? They called for a king of people visual back in the Old Testament. As well, they wanted a king. Give us a king. They got Saul. They got just what they deserved. We find here in 2 Chronicles 33, more of the same, right? We're going to fall after the nations around us. We're going to be like everybody else. You can't go wrong doing that, except in the eyes of the Lord. He rebuilt, verse 3, the high places. It's a reference to, to idolatrous places where they would be offering idolatrous worship to their idols. He says, which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. So he didn't learn much from his father. Apparently, did he? he didn't listen to him. Sometimes the father tries to impart those, those sound teachings to others, and sometimes it doesn't exactly stick. In the first three, we find it didn't exactly stick, did it? He raised up altars for the bells. He made wooden images, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. You know what's interesting in, in these verses? This pointed out. The gods he's worshiping, he has to first create them before he can worship them. Do we have to create the God of the Bible before we can worship him? No. He was always in existence. Just one tells us that the God created all things, could be there first, right? John 1, verse 1, the Bible tells us in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, to Christ and God being there before time began as we know it. No, we do not create God in the Bible. He's always existed. So the false idols, or idols rather, the false gods, you have to build those, right? He built altars for the host of heaven, verse 5. In, in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So he's blaspheming, he must say mocking God because of where he's putting these, these things. Their gods couldn't move themselves. They didn't build altars and move their gods to where they wanted them to be. They didn't have hands and feet. No, they had to carry their gods literally sometimes on their own backs, didn't they? Look at verse 6. And he caused his sons, here St. Chronicles uses the plural, his sons, not just one, his sons, to pass through the fire in the, the valley of the son of him, the son, the son of him. He practiced soothing and used witchcraft, sorcery, consulted mediums and spirits. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. You think the Lord is pleased with such things? The Bible tells us clearly he's not. It provoked him to anger. What happens when a child does something they shouldn't they know they shouldn't be doing? And they do it, their parents find out, they try to keep on doing it until their parents find out. Does that provoke the parent to anger? 
get up, right? You tell a child don't do something, they wonder all the time doing it secretly, he provokes you to anger. Did Manasseh know better? I think it's pretty clear that he knew better because he, he knew that he built, who had torn down those altars that he was now rebuilding. Was his daddy torn those things down? Why did his dad turn those things down? Because they were false idols. They were, they were idols. They were false gods. That's when they were torn down in the first place. But yet, Manasseh rebuilds them. He did those things which he knew he ought not. How do we know that? We'll keep reading. We find verse 7, he, he said, Carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, and the idol which he had made. Great your God first, we can worship it. But which God is to David and to Saul, his son, and this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. It means it's supposed to belong to God and God alone. We find in verse 8, God says, He will not remove it. He will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for, their, for your fathers. Only if they are careful to do all that commanded them. I mean, they will not be cast up into captivity. They will not be driven out unless they lose, they lose their faith and walk away from God. Look at verse 8 again. Only if they are careful to do all that has commanded them. According to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses, you want to stay where you are and you're about the captivity, not having enemies harass me, harass you rather, follow the commandments of God there, verse 8, right? We want to have a happy life, then we should be those who follow God. Nothing has changed. Verse 9, so Manasseh seduced Judah, and it happens for us to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Means they were doing more evil than all the nations the Lord had destroyed in front of them, before their eyes. This would mean before the children of Israel. They saw the nations the Lord had drove out. What are they doing? They're acting just like them. They're acting just like those the Lord had drove out because of their evilness. His actions, as we know here, in general, right? He wasn't, it wasn't about that he was doing it. He was influencing, encouraging, and causing others to do exactly the same thing. If we do something wrong, we have to deal with it. If we cause others to do something wrong, are we going to be held accountable for that as well? Yes. Was Manasseh going to be held accountable for leading others astray? Yes. False teachers are condemned not just because of what they believe, because they're carrying others away with them. Manasseh was, was a false teacher in the sense that he was leading people away from God into idolatry. He wasn't being condemned, everyone, and also everyone who followed with him. We're also going to find as we get to the end of this lesson is that his actions impacted them severely, even after what he decided to do later in life. His negative footprint still left an impact on many others. We'll get to that more later. But we, we find a warning. Now, before God pours out his wrath on people, you know there's always a warning. How long did it take to build the ark in Genesis? Probably 120 years, right? We say he, we call Noah a preacher of righteousness, right? For 120 years, he preached the word of God on the ark was in preparation. That's 120 years of what? Long suffering and patience. There didn't have to be just eight people in the ark, eight human beings in the ark, but there was, there was for a reason. Because no one else would do what was right, thus the whole purpose had 
the ark and you remove all wickedness around it. Look at 2 Chronicles 33, this time looking at verse 10 and 11. We find the warning in verse 10. And the Lord spoke about Asa and his people, but they would not listen. There is a warning. We don't need the details of it, but what did the Lord do in verse 10? Warning. The Bible says the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. It doesn't tell us how. It could have been by a prophet. It could have been he spoke to him directly. as was not uncommon in the Old Testament time period. But he spoke to Manasseh and to his people. Well, that's what happened in verse 10. Really, what did not happen? They would not listen. What happens when a parent tears their child, tells their child to do something, but they do not listen? Do we let them get away with that? The Bible tells us we shouldn't. <laughs> do we let them get away with that? No. There are certain things that take place, right? And in verse 11, what happens? Well, verse 10, they would not listen. God doesn't say, okay, I tried. No. Therefore, the Lord brought, brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria. He took Manasseh with hooks and bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. Why? Back up for a moment. What did the Lord say back in verse 8? I'll not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers. Only if they are careful to do all that you can to them. Right? You will stay exactly where you are so long as you do what you're supposed to be doing. That's the way you paraphrase that, right? But what happens? Well, they wouldn't listen. Verse 10 tells us, but they would not listen. Quite like you can't get any more clear that they would not listen. You ever talk to someone? Sometimes it's me. But you ever talk to someone and they don't really listen to what you're saying? In verse 10, it's more, you know, the price is more than just annoying somebody who's talking to you. Here it is, they're, they're, they're ignoring God, they're not listening. And in verse 11, he says, What? Therefore, it is as a result of them not listening, verse 10, the Lord, the same one who spoke to him in verse 10, warned him, the same one, because there is only one, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army to keep of Assyria. He used what? Assyria to punish them. That's what he did. Who took Manasseh, you notice he points out specifically here Manasseh, with hooks and bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. He was taken off into captivity. You're not going to listen. God actually speaks to him and to the people, warning them they would not listen. What happened? They were punished. You know, there is always a role out of evil. There's always a road out, a way back to God. Oh, perhaps a road to God for the first time, depending on who we're talking about. Look at verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 33. We find that Manasseh is going to have to humble himself before God. The Bible says, now, now when he was in affliction, that is, during his captivity, while he's in chains, that's his affliction, but we just talked about there in verse 11. He implored the Lord his God. What does that reference to? He's praying to God. Manasseh knew better to do the things he had done. It's clear from verse 12 that he knew why he was there in the first place. We know verse 10, God told him, right? God warns him, but he would not listen. 
Verse 12, the Lord, he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God, he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. What is that reference to? Repentance. Why? Because of the context. That's how we know that's what he's talking about. It's more than just, oh, you're the God, you're the only God. It's repentance, turning from his ways. How do we know that? What happens following these things? Look at verse 13. And he prayed to him, who the God of his fathers, and he received his entreaty, who did God, the God of his fathers, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Why? He prayed to God, and God responded. He knew that he was God. He knew that he was the one and only God, right? He brought him back to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then, what? as a result of what happened, he knew that the Lord was God. Which tells us that he knew, as we're going to find, as we continue on there, that these idols which he had set up, these lost gods, the host of heaven, were not a god. We find, as we continue reading here, in verse 14 to following, we find that he changed life in Manasseh. If no one else in Manasseh. After this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate. And it enclosed uh, a hill, and he raised it up, and he raised it up to a very great height. And he put, put, put up military captains in all, all the fortified cities of Judah. Why would you do that? Is that wall designed to keep people in or to keep certain people out? You can say both. But I think in Manasseh's case, it's to keep certain people out. Like those who, who's going to be cast out, those soothsayers, spiritists, all those who he'd be consulting. Look at verse 15. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, and all, and all the altars he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. You think, you, would, you think when you cast those items out, that certain people follow those items right out of the gate? You know, I picture Manasseh, this is just my thinking, getting a cart, throwing all these things in the back of the cart, carrying them out, and just dumping them outside of the city. You see people run out after it, following, the, following those idols, and shut the gate behind them. That's just my thinking. Is that what happened? I have no idea. But he cast them out. And again, the only reason to build walls is to keep people out. You think Manasseh wanted those things back in there, or he wanted anything to do with them? Probably not. Verse 16, he also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank, and, uh, thank offerings on it. He commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Now, what was Manasseh doing? He was bearing fruits worthy of repentance, wasn't he? By his actions, he's saying that we're turning a whole different direction. Did everyone agree with it? I don't think there's any doubt people did not always agree with it. Verse 17 tells us, nevertheless, the people still sacrifice in high places, falling to the Lord their God. You know, they sacrifice to God, they sacrifice in the high places, or swear they not to do those things. Was everybody perfect, perfect with it? No. But what was Manasseh doing? 
Can he control every single person? No, I don't think so. But he made the command, right? Manasseh's heart, Manasseh's intentions are pretty clear. When the Bible tells us that he commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel, you think that's who he's serving also? Yes. Even those who were at sacrificing the high places, they were still only sacrificing the Lord their God, but they were still sacrificing in the high places. I mean, not everything was torn down. Think about some lessons for us today. You know, sin can become a pattern, can become a lifestyle. One, sin is not a pattern, but also we realize that just because something is not a certain lifestyle does not mean that sin will not separate us from God. Some will tell you, well, you know, until your sin becomes, becomes your lifestyle, when you're not really condemned, that's false. Sin will separate us from God no matter how many times we do it or how seldom we do it. It will still separate us from God. A lifestyle, a pattern of sin, which is what we find with Manasseh, in this case, it takes time, doesn't it? He reigned 55 years when all of them were as a servant of God. He was 12 years old when he became king. We don't know when the Lord came and spoke to him and to the people. The Bible doesn't say it. I'm sure some commentator has something to say about it. But he reigned at least for a period as a king who did not follow the Lord. But he also reigned for a period as a king who turned things around or did so to the very best of his ability and seen. And at least him and many others followed God. Sin can become a pattern, a pattern, but a pattern of sin takes time. That means that seldom does a pattern of sin change overnight. With Manasseh, he was warned, right? We saw back in verse 10. He was warned by God. He didn't listen. I believe it's 2 Kings 21 that says he, they, paid, they paid no attention. The wickedness described was going on for years, not just for days. The blood being described as filling the streets of Jerusalem from one end to the other, that takes a while, doesn't it? But it also takes a crazed man to do that, crazed people to do that. But it was a pattern of wickedness that lasted for years. The length of time a sin is committed does not change a sin from wrong to right. You know, the people probably thought, well, we've done this for so many years, surely it's okay. God hasn't killed us yet. You hear people sometimes today say, well, let God strike you down if it's wrong. Well, on Judgment Day, He will. Just because we are not killed on the spot like some we read about in the Bible doesn't mean God is not approving, that God is approving of it. He didn't kill David on the spot, He didn't kill Saul on the spot. And he killed Manasseh in this spot, which means the Lord reacts differently at different times, doesn't he? But we find that when we, we find within the Bible that when we have committed sin, the best thing we can do, the logical thing we can do, is to make those things right before God. We confess our sins to God, repent of those things, we pray to God. The second law of pardon. Repentance brings you into fellowship with God. That's what happened with Manasseh. It brought him into fellowship with God. Repentance brings God to one's everyday life. It also brings joy and relief. You know, it's interesting. Look at what Manasseh does after his, as he's turning to God. He's basically purifying the city, so to speak. 
Yet there's some relief in that. Not like there's any doubt. The Bible doesn't tell us about it. But we know that what happened, what was the end result? But massive doing evil things. <laughs> he went off into captivity. What would happen if he did not repent? He would stay right there in captivity and die his sins. That's what would happen. The only thing that brought him out was him turning to God. If he had not done that, he would have died in his sins. And he would still condemned until he repented of those things. Only by turning to God was able to come to come out of captivity. And so in a quite literal sense, his sins had literally put him into bondage in a very literal way. You know, the same thing happened with Jonah, didn't it? The great fish. Why was he in the fish? Because he's sinned against God. He was quite literally imprisoned in that great fish because of his disobedience. Why were people in Israel wandering the wilderness for 40 years? Because of disobedience. Many times their own disobedience comes with physical consequences. And with Manasseh, he was off in captivity. in captivity. Why? Because he had done sin and encouraged others to do the same thing. He dismissed God. And his captivity became very real. And for us today, if we do not turn from our sins on the day of judgment, we'll face something a lot worse than some kind of captivity that Manasseh faced. Our shackles won't be chains. Our prison won't be the belly of a great fish. It said our new dwelling place will be in eternal damnation, right? That's what the judgment day is all about, separating the righteous from the wicked. Not according to my standards or anyone else's, but according to God's. Repentance is a soul-saving action. When Manasseh changed and turned to God, it quite clearly saved his soul from hell. And all those who followed his pattern, his now good example, would also have their souls saved from hell as well. It is a soul-saving passion. That's why people today dismiss it offhandedly. Friend, that should disturb us. Repentance is a soul-saving passion. Failure to repent dissolves fellowship with God. Look at Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Failure to repent dissolves our relationship with God. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. It's not that God cannot save us, verse 1, or that he is incapable of doing so, but there is something literally between us and God. Verse 2, what is it? Your iniquities, that is your sins, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You want to be separated from God? Just live in sin. There you go. You're not separated from God. But friends, it comes at a price. It comes at a dissolved fellowship with God. It comes with a separation from God. And on the day of judgment, it will come with the eternal separation from God. If we have loved ones who have passed on, who are faithful to the Lord, there's only one way to see them ever again of being faithful to God. If we want to see those who have gone on before us, who have died in the faith, the phrase we use sometimes. We want to see them again. We too must be faithful to God. We too must put God first. And we can do that. 
You know, we think about all these examples of people turning away from sin and turning to God. We sometimes think about Saul and all the things he did and how he turned to God, how he persecuted the church, how he had people put off into prison and before his conversion. You know, Manasseh is not any different, is it? I mean, he did a whole lot of evil, didn't he? He literally killed people, including members of his own family, to offer up to their, to their gods. And yet he still turned to God before his If a man like that can turn to God, can't we? Can we turn to God for the very first time? Well, absolutely. The question becomes is, are you ready and willing to turn from the bad, that is the sin in your life, and turn to God? You know, the very first thing we have to do if we want to turn to God is we have to hear the Word of God. Not hearing some, some you know, motivational speech we hear sometimes that is passed off as a sermon. And you can apply that to any person you want who doesn't preach the gospel. But if it's not the gospel message, friends, it's something we need to hear. And don't be sure that the same way to preach fire and brimstone every single sermon. But if it's not based in Bible, we don't really need it. We have to hear the word of God. And then we have to believe it, don't we? When Manasseh turned to God there in 2 Chronicles 33, it's because he heard what God had said before and was remembering it. He was now praying to God because what? He wanted out of where he was. And we find he believed God when he was brought out of bondage. And we find similar things in Acts chapter 2. When Peter preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost, the short sermon that we talked about on Wednesday night is, you know, for us, a little over 20 verses, right? But when they heard what he had said, they asked the question, what must we do, right? Peter responded not with something that was impossible to do. He said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. That's what he told them to do. We do the same thing today. We don't require anything the Bible doesn't require because that's what we already follow in the first place. We hear, we repent, we confess our sin, confess that Christ is some God on the sin, verse 17, and we are baptized. But then we have to remain faithful to God. It doesn't matter if we, are, if we follow those steps and we, then we turn away from God later in life. We just lose it all, right? In order to be near God, you must be far from sin. In order to be near God, you must be far from sin. I want you to think about this for a moment. Does it make logical sense for us to be living in sin, that is, doing things which are not right in the eyes of God, they are not in the word of God? Does it make logical sense for us to do those things? and still think that we're going to have heaven as our home one day. Now this is the day that many recognize the birth of Christ, which is, I mean, for honest, look at history, it's a day that the Catholics selected, and really was a compromise, but we won't get into all that for the date. We look at the Bible, we find when they celebrate the birth of Christ, at his birth, no other day. You know, his birthday came year after year. We're we told to remember instead all the time the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which we do when we partake the Lord's Supper. See, when we do things the Bible way, you know, it's obvious, it's, it's interesting, it actually relieves a whole lot of stress 
whole lot of traditions are passed down. I'm not saying we can't exchange gifts and things such as that. I'm not going to get to all that this morning, but nothing wrong with using this time to be the family and do, do other things that are harmless for us to do. But friends, there are some traditions that we do follow them. They will separate us from God. Because it's not based on Bible names. We're putting, we start putting a whole lot of focus on them. Next thing you know, that's more important coming to worship, right? I mean, there are those today we've seen online here, you know, talking about, well, you know, Sunday is Christmas, so I really need to go to church. What is Sunday first? It's the Lord's Day, right? It's a day the Lord has set aside for us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. If we will have heaven as our home, we can remember those certain things as well. You know, that may be new for some of us to hear, and that's fine, but something for us to think about. We think about Manasseh, getting back to our lesson this morning. We think about Manasseh, he had more than just some traditions. He was literally calling after God that he had created. But friends, what does what does it take for someone today to become our idol? All that has to do is be more important than God. It doesn't have to be made of wood or stone. All it has to do is be more important than God. It can be an event. It can be a tradition. It can be an item. It can be ourselves. But if it's more important than God, that has now become our item. The same things that Manasseh was condemned for in the Old Testament. Do we think we'll be any different than him? And we stand before God, stand before Christ on the day of judgment, because he is a judge. And we have things in our life that are more important than him. Do you think he's going to care? I'll give you this one last illustration. If you're on your wedding day, and you're sitting before your soon-to-be spouse, and there's something on your mind more important than the person you're supposed to be looking at in the eyes, you think they're going to think they're going to care about that? You imagine being before your soon-to-be spouse on the wedding day and doing this. Uh -huh. You think they care? You know, if there's anything between us and God, you think He cares? Because friends, we should. If there are things between us and God, we can make it not important. We can decide to make things less important. We make God much more important. 